0: Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Very warm welcome to all of you to church this morning. And of course, Merry, Merry Christmas. Uh, It's great to have your company. And to those who are not able to join us physically, a Merry Christmas to you as well. Those are joining us online. It's great to have your company as well. Did you know that there are 10 cities around the world that have a psychological disorder named after them? Brisbane. Fortunately, it's not one of them. They're grouped under three categories. The first group of syndromes is referred to as the hostage city syndromes. The most well known being the Stockholm syndrome. This is when hostages develop a bond with their captors. Lima syndrome, the opposite of Stockholm syndrome, in terms of its dynamics, is when captors become sympathetic toward the hostages. London syndrome, the opposite of both Stockholm and Lima syndromes, refers to hostages becoming argumentative toward their captors. Not a very smart idea. Under miscellaneous city syndromes, we have Amsterdam, Brooklyn, and Detroit. Uh, Maybe you could do some research uh, sometime today when you're sick and tired of food. (laughs) Or give yourself a break, during a break in between meals or something. The final category of syndrome is called the tourist city syndromes. Jerusalem syndrome, first reported in the 1930s, is a psychological breakdown uh, that, that affects about a hundred people, visitors to Jerusalem every year. Jerusalem syndrome first reported in the thirties is a psychological breakdown that affects about a hundred tourists uh, to Jerusalem every year. Sufferers believe that there's some important bibl- biblical figures, uh, with a few even preaching on the streets. Florence syndrome is an acute behavioral reaction triggered by the anticipation. And then the actual experience of Florence's cultural richness. Between 1988 and 1995, 51 visitors traveled to Venice with the intent of killing themselves. In fact, 16 succeeded. For these visitors, according to Italian researchers, the city for them represents uh, or is considered to be a city, a symbol of death. That's the Venice syndrome. The final tourist city syndrome, relevant to our sermon this morning, is the Paris syndrome. So it was first coined by a Japanese psychiatrist working in Paris in the 1980s. According to the Japanese embassy in Paris, Paris syndrome sufferers affects on, uh, Paris syndrome affects on average 21st time Japanese visitors to the city of lights per year. Impacting people from other nations as well, sufferers of Paris syndrome experience a crisis, an extreme form of culture shock because the experiences of Paris have been vastly different to their expectations. The problem is serious enough that the Japanese embassy in Paris maintains a 24 hour hotline to assist Japanese tourists with this condition symptoms include depression, anxiety acute delusional state dizziness sweating hallucinations and feelings of persecution. I was watching, SBS, uh, watching on SBS just recently about the extraordinarily bright and amazing colorful Christmas markets uh, in Copenhagen, Denmark. When you look at the pictures, it's easy to see why the Danes have voted Christmas as the happiest day of the year for them. Indeed, Christmas is a magical time. Christmas is a very special time of the year, but not for everyone. For those with financial woes as a result of eight interest rate rises this year, for those struggling or have loved ones who have ongoing physical uh, problems, who experience mental health uh, problems, for those who have lost loved ones, they may possibly have themselves a case of the Paris syndrome or even something more dreadful. It, for these people, it will not be a season to be jolly. Instead, it will be a Christmas filled with anxiety, filled with pain, and filled with sorrow. What about the first Christmas? How did people respond to the birth of Jesus? Apart from Herod the Great, the paranoid, bloodthirsty, vindictive, evil tyrant, The news of Jesus' birth was very well received. After all, it was good news. In the words of an angel to the unwanted, unwelcome, despised, disliked shepherds living on the margins of society, the angel said, I quote, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The words of the angels, uh, angel would have sent their hearts racing because if Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah, it means... The country's long awaited freedom from the iron heel of Roman oppression, exploitation, humiliation, and occupation is imminent. This belief that the Messiah would lead them into a new golden age, bringing to them everlasting peace to their nation was very widespread. Even the 12 disciples that Jesus himself handpicked were expecting Jesus to be a political messiah to be a military Messiah. So you can imagine the, uh, the incredible excitement and expectations surrounding Jesus. The signs looked promising at first. Jesus did appear to be preparing the early stages of a revolution, of an uprising. He frequently attracted large followings. Sometimes Jesus sounded like a revolutionary. In Matthew 16, 28, for instance, he said, Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. But it didn't take long for those who thought Jesus was it to experience Paris syndrome. To be sure, Jesus was unambiguous in claiming to be the promised long away to Messiah. But shockingly, and here's the rub, The way he was going to liberate his countrymen and mankind itself was not by conquering Rome, riding on a white horse, but going into Jerusalem on a donkey as a servant. Offering up his life eventually as a sacrifice for sin. That was the freedom he was offering. One that they desperately needed even if they couldn't see it. That was his mission. Just as a side note, an important one, all that is wrong and broken in our world will not be fixed completely. That will occur when Christ returns to make pure and right all the evil and wrongs in our world. Now, as people became more aware of Jesus' mission, they became disillusioned with him, as you'd expect, including his earthly brothers who thought that he had the Jerusalem syndrome and told them to pull his head in lest he embarrassed himself and the family further. Others thought he was insane. Others even went further and and thought that he was demon-possessed. Judas, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, had such a severe case of Paris syndrome, he betrayed Jesus in exchange for financial gain. I think Jesus did it not expecting that his betrayal would cost Jesus his life. I really believe that. But it did. And he was so overcome with guilt that he killed himself. It wasn't just Jesus' mission that people were disappointed by. But throughout Jesus' life, he regularly said and did things that disappointed people. Including one family that was very dear to his heart. When Lazarus became ill, very ill, his sisters, Martha and Mary, sent word out to Jesus in the hope that he'd heal their brother. They fully expected Jesus to do this. After all, it was something that Jesus regularly did for strangers. How much more friends and families, dear? to Jesus' heart. They said to Jesus via messenger, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. They weren't dropping a hint; they were just saying, he whom you love, Lazarus is sick. So come on to where we are and fix our brother's health issue. While Jesus was at another town, about a day's journey away, In response, Jesus did the only thing people would do for someone dear to their hearts. He stayed where he was for another two days. Bit of a puzzling response. Bit of a, I don't think it's a bit of a disappointing response. If you were Mary and Martha, you'd be. What on earth are you doing? This is someone whom you love. And upon hearing this news, you decide to stay where you are for another two days. By the time Jesus got to Lazarus, he had been dead for four days. His body had started to decompose and smell. Martha and Mary, baffled and confused, said to Jesus when Jesus arrived, if you had been here earlier, our brother would not have died. Jesus, if you had been here earlier, our brother would not have died. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the story, you know that the story has a happy ending. Jesus did raise Lazarus from the dead, but Martha and Mary didn't know that at the time, nor did they expect Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. They were expecting Jesus to heal their brother, but not raise Lazarus from the dead. My educated guess is that we have, or are, or will experience Paris syndrome when it comes to God. We have found him wanting, haven't we, in meeting our expectations. We have doubts and questions about his character, about the way he does things. Why does he answer some prayers and not other prayers? It seems like when we've needed him the most, God has gone AWOL. many of you felt like that, don't raise your hands. I'm sure all of you have, will raise your hand or will not, maybe not today, but at some stage later on. Yes, he's gone AWOL. Our desperate pleas for help has been met with deafening silence or unhelpful or inexplicable delays like the one Mary and Martha experienced. Maybe life has dealt you a bad hand like I alluded to earlier, a marriage that you're not happy in, a marriage breakup, losing your dream job, not being able to start a family, and you've been trying and trying and trying, and the like. Just last week, I read about a lady who gave birth to a stillborn daughter when she was 36 weeks pregnant. That's very late in the pregnancy and to be giving birth to a stillborn daughter. How devastating that is. What about a Canadian couple, inspiring couple, might I add, Sebastian and Edith, whose three of their four children have been diagnosed with a rare genetic condition that will render them completely blind by midlife. And there's currently no cure, effective treatment to slow down the progression of this condition. What's Christmas going to be for these people? The Bible is clear, folks, that pain and suffering are not a matter of if. In fact, Christianity was founded through the suffering of our Lord Jesus, not in spite of it. And this is in such contrast with pagan religions that say, do things for God. There are things you can do for God. If you live right, do right, say right, then suffering won't happen to you. Suffering don't happen to righteous people, to do-gooders. Karma, do you believe in karma? Guy ran into a car on Friday, Thursday, Friday, and said, oh, I believe in karma. Do good. And you'll be rewarded. Do good, and your life will go well. Well, Christianity makes no such promises. In fact, Christianity says the opposite thing. Look at Jesus. He did good. He said good. But he got crucified. Jesus himself could not be any clearer when he said, Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows that's a promise. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, take heart, for I have overcome the world. So what did Jesus mean by when he said, take heart, I have overcome the world? Now, one of the metaphors to describe Jesus is light in contrast to darkness. When Jesus began his public ministry and one of the first sermons he preached, he quoted an old prophecy by the prophet Isaiah about the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. Note that the Bible doesn't say from the land of darkness, a light has dawned but upon the uh, the land of darkness, a light is dawn. You see the difference, big difference. Not from the land of darkness, a light is dawn, but upon the land of darkness, a light is dawn. What Jesus is saying here is that the world is a dark place in desperate need of light from outside of it, not from within it, from outside of it and not from within it, Timothy Keller wonderful writer and pastors said this means the end of cheery statements like if we all pull together we can make the world a better place no we can't we don't have what it takes this is a clear-eyed realistic approach to our problems it's not rah-rah optimism yet it's not pessimistic either because there is hope and certainty and a certainty that God will eventually destroy all evil. This means that suffering is not meaningless, it's not random or hopeless, like one atheist writer for Sydney Morning Herald who wrote, blankety blank happens to all of us. There is no rhyme or reason. Life is random and unfair. Additionally, while all that is wrong and broken in our world will not be fixed completely on this side of heaven, Jesus coming as a baby and dying on the cross as a man means that he has begun the process of reversing all of sin's psychological, spiritual, physical, societal, and environmental corrosive and destructive effects. We get to taste, if you like, a little of heaven on earth. Through Jesus, we can experience peace with God. Through Jesus, we can experience with others. And through Jesus, we can experience within our own hearts. And when life doesn't work out the way we expect or hope, we turn our hearts, we turn our sights to the first Christmas, which provides us the answer, the remedy to Paris syndrome and much, much more. The reflection of the first Christmas by Anne Voskamp, a Canadian author of four New York Times bestsellers, is deeply comforting, reassuring, and empowering. She writes, so God throws open the door of this world and enters as a baby, as the most vulnerable imaginable because he wants unimaginable intimacy with you. What religion ever had a God that wanted such intimacy with us that he came with such vulnerability to us? What God ever came so tender we could touch him, so fragile that we could break him, so vulnerable that his bare beating heart could be hurt? Only the one who loves you to death. Only the one who loves you to death. This is what Jesus meant when he said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Darkness and hopelessness will not define you. Jesus' light will if you open yourself to it. His promises, his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, his hope. His finished work on the cross. Hear the words of the angel again about the significance of the first Christmas delivered to the unwanted, unwelcome, disliked shepherds living on the margins of society. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause joy, great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped, it cloths and lying in a manger. And the shepherds responded in Luke chapter 2, verse 17. Then the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel has said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. I want to close our service with a couple of beautiful prayers that I've uh, combined, composed by individuals whose names I do not know. For you, feel free to join me as I pray this aloud. It's on your screen. Would you stand? And then we will close with a final song, "O Come, All You Unfaithful," as a response to the message. To so join me, if you like, as we pray. A count of three: one, two, three we greet your coming God with wonder you come to be with us yet you remain far greater than we can imagine you are near yet your wisdom sets you apart from us you appear among us yet we cannot describe your glory we greet your coming God with repentance we're more or less satisfied with ourselves but your presence exposes our sin and failure. We're self-confident, but you challenge our confidence in ourselves. We're proud of our understanding, but you show us that we do not know everything. We greet your coming, God, with joy. We had no true idea of what you're like, but you have shown us yourself in Jesus Christ. We felt our human life could be of no importance to you, but you've shown its value by appearing among us as a man. We're aware of the gulf between us and you, but you have bridged it with love. God, we greet your coming in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be present, we pray, at our Christmas celebrations. Make them fine and full. Make our greetings sincere, and our giving real. Make our eating and drinking a delight without becoming an excess. And live in our relationships, both within our families and beyond them, with the spirit of the Christ child. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.